Somebody shout, this is us. Do y'all understand by now what shout means? I said, somebody shout, this is us. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. This is us. But, but up in Columbus, Ohio, a couple of weeks ago, God spoke and said, you've taken six months to work on us. You've taken six months to deal with the things that we need to deal with to get the house in order. But now it's time to move from this is us to this is that. Praise God. And I told you last week why it's called this is that is because Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Ghost poured out in the upper room and, and the the people in the streets thought that they were drunk. Peter stood up and said, uh, these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only 9 a.m. in the morning. But this is that, shout this is that. This is that that the prophet Joel spoke of, that in the last days I pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Come on, somebody. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And he goes on to say, he talks about several other things that the Holy Ghost, people that the Holy Ghost is being poured out. And he, then he says something so powerful at the end of that passage. And whosoever calls on the name of the Lord in that day shall be saved. This is that. Harvest time. This is harvest time. Come on. It's harvest time. I'm flashing y'all. I'm flashing y'all today. This is harvest time. Somebody shout, it's harvest time. Woo. Father, in the name of Jesus, we open up our hearts to you today. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for everything that's happened in these altars. We thank you, Lord, for those that have been faithful in their giving and their worship today. Now, God, as we prepare to dive into the word of God today, let our hearts be open. Let our minds be teachable, God, so that we could be reachable today. Lord, let us understand that nothing shall be taught today that is not in the word of God. Therefore, when the word of God speaks it, we as believers need to receive it and accept it into our lives and let it change us today. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Now, I don't mean this to be arrogant. A lot of, uh, uh, please understand, I don't mean this to be arrogant. But a lot of times, preachers are taught to pray this way, and I pray this way. There's nothing wrong with it. Right before we preach, we'll pray, Lord, please anoint me uh, to preach your word. I got news for you. I was about to say it, and I heard the Lord say, you don't need to ask me to anoint you. You already know you're anointed right now. Just get up there and do <laughs> what I called you to do. Hallelujah. Woo! How many knows that what? One of the things, if you were not here last week, a real quick review is that, that we took you all the way from the resurrection of Jesus. And for 40 days after he was raised from the dead, the Bible said he walked around and showed himself by many infallible proofs, meaning indisputable, undeniable proofs. He allowed people to touch the scars in his hand, touch the wound in his side. He didn't, he purposely, even though he was healed, even though he was not hurting and bleeding, because he was in a glorified body, he purposely left those wounds just so we could see in that time. And when we get to heaven one day, when we see him, we'll be able to see them. We'll, this not won't just be a story to us. We'll be able to actually see the, the examples of what he did for us. And how many knows I said last week, and I'll say it again, God is very intentional. He doesn't do anything by mistake. He doesn't do anything by accident. Every word that he said was intentional. Every place he went was intentional. Every time he sat down and had dinner was intentional. I'm talking about everything was strategically intentional by God. 
And I told you last week also that if you knew you had 24 hours to live, if you knew you had one hour to live, if the, if the, the numbers were plummeting, every, all your family was in the room, and, and, and you knew, you looked at it, you could feel in your body, I'm about to leave this earth. I've got just a few minutes. I'm telling you right now, you would be very intentional with your words. As much as I love Alabama football, I wouldn't talk about Nick Saban as much as I love him. As much as I love um, my church, I got news for you, I wouldn't even be talking about you. Can I preach a little bit? I'd make sure my kids knew how much I loved them. I'd speak into their lives and tell them as many principles as I could to make sure that they became the, the people of God that God wanted them to become. I would make sure that everything I said was intentional and was the last words that came out of my mouth, I know they will never forget what I said. So the last words that Jesus said before he ascended to heaven... And he's been sitting at the right hand of the Father over 2,000 years. How many knows he didn't didn't just make up those words? He knew what he was going to talk about that day. He walked up on that mountain, and this is the last thing he said. Okay, I've been talking to you about the things of the kingdom for 40 days. But here's the last thing I need you to hear. Because none of it is going to be possible if you don't get this one. Go to Jerusalem. And don't leave Jerusalem till you receive the promise of the Father. And you will be endued with power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you'll be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Come on, you hear me? And the uttermost parts of the earth. In other words, what I've been pouring into you was never intended just to be for the Middle East. It's supposed to touch every single human being on this planet. And in order for you to do it, You can't just know about it. You're going to need my power. Am I preaching good already? I ain't even started. I ain't even started, y'all. And if if you're visiting with us today and you're wondering what time do we get out of church today, I'm going to preach on because I don't have an answer. Because I'm going to tell you something, you ain't going to get no 20-minute sermonette today. But I will get you out of here 12-ish. Somebody shout, Holy Ghost, fire. Isn't it, isn't it interesting that, that pre-ministry of Jesus, when John the Baptist, his cousin, who knew him intimately as a cousin, saw him coming down, praise God, from the mountainside into the river Jordan. And before he ever said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, he preached a message. And he, when he came out of the wilderness, the Bible says John the Baptist preached, watch this, repent. Somebody shout repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But that ain't all he said. He said, there is one coming after me. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he shall baptize you with Holy Ghost and with fire. Isn't it interesting, before Jesus ever began his ministry, his forerunner talked about two things, three things, repentance, the kingdom, and Holy Ghost fire. When Jesus was baptized by John, 
He heard the blessing of the Father, the promise of the Father. Behold, my, my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. He went down in the water even though he didn't need to repent because he was sinless. But he was leading by example showing this is what re repentance looks like. So he's modeled that. And then when he came up, the Bible says the Holy Ghost, like a dove, sat on him. And the Bible says, then and only then, he came up out of the water, went immediately into the wilderness. Isn't it interesting that before he began his ministry, he showed himself to the devil for 40 days. Isn't it interesting that post-resurrection, he showed himself to his people for 40 days? In other words, he knew, before I can ever reveal my kingdom to my people, I've got to reveal this kingdom to the devil. I got to remind the devil of who he is. And the Bible says, watch this, only after that, he came down off of the mountain. Go read your Bible. Touch your neighbor and tell him, here's a new thing, read your Bible. See, most Christians don't read the Bible. They don't even know half the stuff that's even in the Bible. The Bible says, only after that, Jesus, watch what it says, came down off the mountain. Catch the words, because I'm quoting in power. Oh, y'all didn't hear me. How many of those Jesus was powerful before that, right? But he modeled everything he did here on this earth so that we could follow his example. Remember, I say it a thousand times. He did not operate as God who was just simply a man. He operated as a man who was God. So that everything he did, every miracle that he performed, he could truthfully say, these shall you also do, but greater shall you do if I go to my Father. But you got to understand the only way you can do these things that I do and greater shall you, the things that I do is you got to understand. Listen to his words. His words are intentional. If I go to my Father. He already knew that when he went to his Father is when the Father was going to send the power. You cannot do this, even this, let alone greater than this, unless I go to my Father. But when I go to my Father, you don't get it yet, but I already know because I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm not going. Jesus doesn't predict the future. He is the future, baby. He's already been there. I'm preaching better y'all shouting this morning. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to get to my notes. He began, repent. As a result of the preaching of John the Baptist, repent. For the kingdom is at hand. And he shall baptize you with fire. Which we know is the power of the Holy Ghost. Jesus was baptized. Holy Ghost came on him. He comes out of the water, faces the devil for 40 days. Isn't God cool? 40 days pre-ministry, 40 days post-ministry. And the Bible says he came down off the mountain in power. Shout power. But wait a minute. Go read your Bible. Because that ain't all it says. It says he came down off the mountain in power. Watch this. Preaching, repent, for the kingdom is at hand. In other words, it wasn't just a symbolic thing that happened in the water. 
a transfer from John, as weird as this sounds, from a man to God, because remember it was man to man, he was, although he was 100% God, but because of how God operated, the mantle that was on John the Baptist was transferred to Jesus. And what did John immediately say? Right after that, John started saying this, I must decrease and he must increase. Because when he went down in the water, I felt something leave me. My time is done. I need to get out of the way because I don't need any of those people trying to still follow me. I need all my people to follow him. Man, this is good preaching. I like to listen to my own podcast. I, I I'm not afraid. I'm not. I'm not one of them guys that's full of myself. But I, I tell people I listen to my own podcast every week. You know why? Because I get stuff up here that wasn't in my notes, and I don't even remember even preaching it to y'all. But when I listen to the podcast, I shout myself happy. I'm a my God preacher preached. I go wait a minute. I did. Fast forward, 40 days, post-resurrection, tarry in Jerusalem till you shall receive the promise of the Father. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, they were in one, or went up to the upper room, they were in one place. It got down to 120. You know the story. And suddenly there came a sound of a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared on them cloven tongues like as a fire and it set upon each of them. And they began to speak in other tongues. Yeah, I said it in church on a Sunday morning. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. Acts 2.11 said when that happened, the people in the streets began to wonder and marvel. They began to say, these men are drunk. John, Peter stood up and began to preach. That don't even make sense. It's only 9 a.m. These men are not drunk as you suppose, but this is that. Acts 2.11 says this. Now I'm in my notes. That was my introduction. Acts 2.11 says, here's the thing that freaks us out. We hear them speaking in our own tongues. Watch what they said. Not just speaking in our own tongues. We hear them speaking in our own tongues. What did they hear them speaking? The wonderful works of God. So from the very beginning, that sound, that sound from the very beginning spoke of things that are the wonderful works of God, not of something demonic. If you were raised in a church that, that said speaking in tongues is demonic, you was raised by a pastor that didn't read his Bible. God's not the author of confusion. Why would he start out with something that would begin to be demonic and instruct the people of God to use it as a catalyst to create the beginning of the body of Christ? But yet later on, it would become demonic. Oh, it got quiet in here. Y'all hear what I'm saying? How is it that something demonic, the more that it is active in my life, the more I love you? The more I want to pray for you, even, want, even though I want to strangle you. Huh? You ever been somewhere where you just want to slap somebody upside the head and all of a sudden, shatapakota. You're just like, I got to pray in the Holy Ghost. You, you think I'm being spiritual, but I'm just trying to stop myself from slapping you. Huh? Am I preaching right? 
If it was demonic, it'd make me hate you more. If it was demonic, it'd make me want to go cheat on my wife the more I did it. If it was demonic, I'd be at the I'd have a hangover from the club last night instead of being in the house of God. See, they knew that this was some kind of God thing. They didn't understand it. But the Bible says, you read your Bible, it says the sound attracted them. See, God was ready for these people to hear the gospel. See, God's very intentional. If he's intentional about what he says, he's intentional about what he calls his people to do. He would never call us to operate in the gifts of the Spirit for ourselves. They have a purpose. Are you hearing me? They are, they are to make us witnesses. The baptism of the Holy Ghost, the very next thing after that comes, after receiving power, is you shall be witnesses. Not you shall flop like a guppy out of water in the altar or do a Holy Ghost helicopter and take three men to catch you as you fall out. I ain't got a problem with you if you, if you just have a Holy Ghost fit. But I got, if you think that's why God sent the Holy Ghost so that you can get a goosebump, so you can feel the hair stand up on the back of your head. Friend, you ain't read the Bible. Hey, I feel the Holy Ghost right here, y'all. I feel it, I feel it, I feel it. If anybody's got a Hammond B3 organ with a Leslie that you like to donate, I'm, gonna, I, I'm speaking right now. We're going to have one sitting right over there, and he's going to be able to play his keyboard and turn over and play a Hammond B3 organ. If you got one, I ain't buying it from you. You're only going to have to donate. If you got a Hammond B3 with a Leslie, talk to me after church. And if you don't know what a Hammond B3 is, then you wasn't raised in church like I was. Now watch this. In the midst of all this happening, let me show you what Holy Ghost power would do. A man just a few weeks ago from this moment who had denied that he even knew Jesus because this is only 50 days from the day he was crucified. So at a little over a month earlier, he didn't just deny him. Can I get real with y'all? Can I be real? Because we at Solid Rock, right? I have to be careful when I preach at other churches, but here I, I just can be myself, right? Watch this. The last time he denied him, the Bible said he cursed and denied him. I looked that up years ago, and let me tell you what it means. It means he cussed. It didn't mean he spoke something negative. It meant he cussed. It didn't just mean he cussed. It means he cussed about as bad as you can cuss. How I many of those, you, you can use the D word and people will be like, okay, he's mad. But in this generation, if you say, I hate your MF guts, but you don't spell it. How many of those, that's about as rough as you can get. So let me paint a picture for you. That's what he said if it was today. I don't know that mother effing Jesus. That's what he did. But when he repented and when he got baptized 
And when the power of God fell on him, the same man who the whole church would have disqualified. Oh, you don't know. That's the man that said to MFG. He stood up and he preached the gospel. Hey, let me tell you, I don't care what you did. I don't care who you laid down with. I don't care what you smoked, what you shot up with, what you drank. If you come to Jesus, if you repent of your sins, if you let the water of the word wash you and you get the power of God on you, he will qualify you. Somebody ought to shout yes. <laughs> I didn't say he condoned your actions. You still got to repent. But that's the power of the message. Remember, John started with repent. Jesus started with repent. And that coward, cussing, former coward, cussing preacher stood up. And he didn't just say this is that. You go read your Bible. In Acts chapter 2, he begins to lay out who Jesus is. Because remember, the sound attracted the people. And here's what happens in a lot of Pentecostal charismatic churches. We have a Holy Ghost manifestation church service. And all the people come to see what's happening. And we just give them more demonstrative things happening, but we don't give them word. I was raised in a church, and I remember saying these things because I was trained to say them. Boy, I tell you what, we had church. The preacher didn't even get to preach. That's how we equated a great church service, that the Holy Ghost fell at such a level the preacher didn't get to preach. Now, I know sometimes that happens, but I'm going to tell you something. If God is moving through the gifts of the Spirit, it is not just so you can experience an emotional high or not even just so that you can encounter something magnificent. It is to draw you, to prepare you for the Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 says tongues are not for a sign to the believer, but for a sign to the unbeliever. When they operate, it's strange. People don't get it, but they're attracted to it. But if all they get is that, they won't ever be changed. So Peter said, while y'all are here, I'm just going to go ahead and tell it like it is. He starts quoting David. He starts talking scripture. He starts laying them out, and the Bible doesn't say any of them left. They all sit there and listen because they were amazed that they had heard the wonderful works of God in their own language. So they knew this is something. And by the way, this hit me this morning. I can't prove it to you biblically, but if they were drawn, listen to this, if they were drawn to the fact that they all in their own language could understand the disciples praising God? How did they all understand what Peter was preaching? Unless God was operating him on that through that gift as well, that while he was preaching, it was coming out of his mouth probably in the Hebrew dialect, but God was filtering it through the spirit realm so that everybody in Jerusalem could understand what the man of God was preaching. And he sums it up. It's eleven sixteen. if you're taking medicine. He summed it up at the end of his sermon. Acts 2, 36. 
Therefore, let all the house of Israel, after he laid it, I ain't got time to preach it all. He says, Noah, surely that God, this God, that God that has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Do you understand that it's amazing that he made sure that he said both Lord and Christ. See, some of y'all have accepted him as Christ because Christ means Messiah. Some of you have accepted him as the son of God, but you ain't made him Lord. See, it's one thing to acknowledge that he's Christ, but it's another thing to bring him into your life and make him Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He said, I want you to know the reason he was crucified was because of your sins and my sins. We nailed him to the cross. Now listen to this. I'm hurrying, I'm hurrying, I'm hurrying. Because I know I can hear some of y'all stomachs grumbling right now. Y'all starving to death. Don't even know you're going to make it through the day. Bless your heart. I wish I had my bless your heart button up here. I forgot it. Listen, that was verse 36. Listen to verse 37. Now when they heard this, Woo! They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Oh, when's the last time you heard a sermon that cuts you to the heart? When's the last time you showed up on a Sunday morning and felt like falling on your face going, oh God! I'm sorry. When's the last time you heard the preacher preach a message that made you grab the back of that pew? I remember as a young boy grabbing the back of the pew, my knuckles turning white, hearing the Lord say, you need to get up there. And I was scared to death, but something was pulling me because the words of the preacher was cutting me to the heart. No, 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 no. Nowadays, nobody gets cut to the heart when they come to church. They all feel butterfly. I'm all about joy. I'm all, man, I'm going to tell you what, this church, we're going to have fun. We're going to laugh. We're going to cut up. We're going to empower you. I might even tell a few jokes, whatever. But ultimately, we want to take you from one level to the next. Ultimately, if you're in darkness, we want to bring you into light. If you're sick, we want to see you healed. If you're tormented, we want to see you free. If your marriage is on the rocks, we want to see it better than it's ever been. If your kids have run away, we want to see them come home. When was the last time you heard a message on Christian television or a podcast that cuts you to the heart? We have lost this kind of preaching. I'm not talking about my style of preaching. You ain't got to preach like me. I'm talking about preaching that cuts the heart. Thank God he didn't just look at them and say, well, go to the bookstore and buy a book and learn from some guru on how, what you're supposed to do. Let me, we're supposed to have an answer. When they look at you and say, what shall we do? 
In other words, you just told us we crucified this man. You just told us our sins put him on the cross. You just told us that all the scriptures that we were taught about the Messiah, he has fulfilled it. You just told us everything we've been waiting on. We just crucified him. It's on us. So what do we do about it? Immediately, verse 38, and Peter said to them, shout it loud. Shout it loud. Shout it loud. Are you seeing a pattern here? John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus, repent for the kingdom of heaven is nigh unto you. Peter, do you see the, see the pattern of transference? The power that was on John the Baptist transferred because we know he had the Holy Ghost because the Bible said he was filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. So the anointing that was on him transferred off of him to Jesus. John said, I got to get out of the way. It's on Jesus. Jesus was crucified. Three days later, he came back from the dead. Forty days, he talked about the things of the kingdom. Read your Bible. And then he said, you know what? I'm not leaving them. I'll never forsake them, but I'm sending them another comforter. But in order for this to happen, I got to get away. Come on, you hear me? I got to decrease from this world. Same pattern. Jesus goes up and sits at the right hand of the Father, and when he does, a transference of the same anointing that was on John, the same anointing that was on Jesus, transfers into that upper room, and Peter stands up with Jesus' anointing, John the Baptist's anointing, every prophet that's ever been touched by the anointing of God, Peter stands up with boldness. It says, why do I want to preach a different message than my Lord preached? Repent and let every one of you be baptized. See the pattern? In the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And then you shall receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Do you see the pattern? Repent. Water baptism. Holy Ghost dove. Repent. Water baptism. Here's another question for you. When's the last time you heard a preacher on TV, a podcast, or a pulpit tell you to repent? You know why preachers don't tell you to repent anymore? Because it's bad for their offering. Because money bags don't want to hear the word repent. You know, no, you know what we do today? We log how many decisions that were made. Fifteen people made decisions today. Well, I'm not impressed with your decision. When I leave here today, one of life's most difficult decisions will have to be made. Where do you want to eat today? <laughs> and how many knows you, uh, you live my life? I don't care wherever you want to go. No, no, wherever you want. No, wherever you want to go. Wherever you want to go. Wherever you want to go. Well, okay, what about this? Well, you know, I don't really like that place. How many knows what I'm talking about? One of life's great mysteries. You can decide in a service, yeah, I need, I need to be a better person. But you don't decide to go to heaven. You don't get to heaven because you made a decision. You get to heaven because you repented. And when you repent, then and only then do you receive the remission of your sins. 
Not just because you got caught up in an emotional moment. And I got news for you. You can say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me, came back from the dead. I confess you as my Lord and Savior, forgive me my sins and come to my heart. You can say the words exactly word for word and repeat after the preacher and still not be saved. Because it ain't about the words. It's about the repentive heart. If your heart is not repentant, the words mean nothing. You better slap your neighbor and tell him that boy's preaching. Somebody shout repent. I looked up that word repent that, G, that Peter said. It's the word metaneo. And it means simply this in the Strong's Dictionary. To change your mind. To think completely different. See, we thought it meant that you were Sorry. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord. Yeah, but have you changed your mind? I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry. I know I'm not a good person. But do you still see things the same way when you leave today? See, when you repent, your enemy don't look like your enemy no more. When you repent, your marriage is not over. When you repent, your kids are not lost anymore. You see them saved. I'm drunk as a skunk up here. You do understand you have solid rock church today. And your pastor is on another level. Do you understand that? When you are saved, is any saved folk in the house shout yes? When you are saved, you will think differently about yourself. I understand the premise. I understand the statement and the heart behind it. Because if I'm, you think for a moment I'm saying that if you repent and you become born again, that you ain't never going to sin and mess up again. I ain't saying that because I've sinned. The Bible says if you sin, we have an advocate with the Father. I understand the intent beyond this statement. But we have locked so many people down in their kingdom walk and authority when we continually tell them to call themselves a sinner saved by grace. When you repent and you have remission of sins, you got to understand this. You may have to deal with sin, but you are not a sinner. Because if you spend the rest of your life calling you a sinner, you'll never see yourself as a son or a daughter. Therefore, you'll never see yourself as an heir to God or a joint heir with Christ. You'll never see yourself blessed in the mountain and blessed in the valley. You'll never see yourself as the head and not the tail. You'll never see yourself blessed coming in and blessed coming out. I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I was a sinner saved by grace. I am a child of God. Somebody shout, this is us. You know why I have confidence to preach that? Because it says, Peter said, you shall receive remission of your sins. Sometimes you got to look up what that word means. The word remission in the original Greek is the word aphesis. I think. And it, <laughs> it means... 
I can tell you what it means, but I can't tell you what it's, what, what, how to say it. It means this from Strong's Concord. Watch this. You got, oh, this is a shouting line here, y'all. Because you think repentance just meant your name gets put in some book up there and you're going to slide by the skin of your teeth into the gates of heaven. When you receive remission of sin, this is what Peter said. Release from all bondages. You were imprisoned. Now you are free. Wait a minute, I ain't through. I'm reading straight out of the Strong's Concordance. Forgiveness slash pardon. You have been pardoned of your sins. Watch this. It says in parentheses, letting them go as if they had never even been committed. One more thing from Strong's. The removal of the penalty. Go get your own Strong's and check me. It came straight out of the Strong's dictionary. That's what the Greek word remission means. That's why Paul and Silas, they had that revelation. They chained them up in the, in the jail cell, and they said, tomorrow morning you're going to be beheaded. Tomorrow morning you're going to be hanged. Tomorrow morning is your last day. They didn't care. But come on, somebody. Jim, at the midnight hour, what'd they do? They started singing praises unto God. Why? Because you might have chains on you in the physical, but you've been set free in the spirit. And they didn't see themselves as prisoners. They saw themselves as free. To be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. They begin to sing songs and hymns unto God, and at the midnight hour, the earth began to shake. The gates swung open, and the chains fell off of their hands. Woo! I could preach for three hours today. When's the last time you heard preaching beyond 25 minutes? Three points in a poem. This is that. Huh? You know why I've always loved about that story of Paul and Silas? People love to preach about the earth shaking and the gates flying open and the chains falling. That ain't my favorite part of the story. My favorite part of the story is when the jailer woke up scared to death because he saw the gate flew open and in his mind he said what sane person would not already have run out of this jail I've lost Paul and Silas the two most wanted men in all of Israel right now maybe Peter included so he took his sword and was about to kill himself and while he's about to kill himself he hears somebody yelling from the jail cell and Paul says hey man don't do it we're still here he's like what He's like, we're still here. Why are you still here? We wouldn't worry when you put us in here. This is the house of God. You know why it's the house? It may look like a prison to you, but that's a, it's the house of God because we in it. We, we, we ain't through praising in here. Come on in here and join us. See, they had a power on them. And one of the most powerful, that's what I'm saying too. That's one, of the most That's one of the most powerful scriptures. Same thing that happened that we just read. And they said, they were cut to the heart. What must we do? Watch what happened. The jailer was cut to the heart. 
And watch it. Go read your Bible. The jailer says these words to Paul. What must I do to be saved? Acts chapter 16. See, when you see that kind of faith on people, that kind of remission of sins on people, that kind of power on people, you don't even have to give an altar call. They're going to say, I want what you have. What must I do to be saved? Watch this. Paul had an answer. Same way Peter did. See, that's our problem. We preach messages to people and tell them their problems, but we don't give them the solution to their problem. What must we do to be saved? Paul. He says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. How many knows that's repentance? Believe and repent. That's the same thing. That's what he means. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Watch this. And he goes in and says, and I see the anointing so strong on you, so will your household. Huh? So how about this? He was in charge of protecting two men that he was supposed to kill the next day. But because of the power of God that was on their life, that night, Paul, Silas, and the jailer, read your Bible, walked out. They walked with him back to his house, went into the jailer's house, had dinner, and led his whole family to Jesus. Come on, somebody. That's the kind of church we need to be. Getting people saved in prison. Getting people saved in their houses. Not just in the church. Some of y'all going into DTs right now. Oh my God, it's 1130. I'm still in church. This This don't feel right. I need to get out. I'm almost through. You ever been on a plane? You're still up about 10,000 feet. All of a sudden, you hear something. If you're a first time on a plane, you're like, oh, God, what's that? You look around, everybody else is chilling because they all know that's just the landing gear coming out. That's what I just felt, y'all. We're still 10,000 feet up, but the landing gear is out. I see the runway at a distance. I'm landing the plane. Who knows if there's a storm there, it's going to cause us to circle a little bit before we land. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Now watch this. I love this. He's still preaching, y'all. He's he's told them they got sin in their life. They're responsible for the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. They've said, "What, what can we do? They're cut to the heart. He says, repent. Be baptized in water in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But he ain't through. He goes on to say, but you've got to understand something. Same thing. Look, God is a God of patterns. Remember what I just told you about Paul? Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy household. Right? Listen to what Peter says. First ever New Testament sermon. He says, for this promise that you see that you were drawn to is to you, to your children, to your family. To all who are afar off. Huh? That means, you know what afar off means? Far off. <laughs> means long way. That means as far off from holiness as you can get. From as far off from church as you can get. 
as many as the Lord our God will call. Now, some of y'all say, well, who all is he going to call? The Bible said it is God's heart that all come to repentance and that none perish. Slap your neighbor and tell him he's preaching to you. Mm-hmm. Here's the problem. Some of us are the children of a generation that forgot this. They experienced it. They had it. But they bought into the lie that our generation didn't want it or would be scared by it. So they didn't give it to us. Now my generation has raised a generation of people that not only do they not want the power of God, they don't even want God. But God said, anytime you receive a promise from God, you should always receive it for yourself and for your children. Y'all ain't hearing me. If the Lord blesses me, I should immediately think, my God, what is he going to do for my kids? See, here's the problem. I promise you I'm winding down. Preachers are afraid to preach. I'm not talking about preach like me. I'm a screamer. I'm a wild man. I know it. Okay? I know you ain't. I know my style scares people. I've had people look at me sometimes, leave the church and ask me, you know, what, what made you leave the church? I've literally had people look at me in the face and say, you know what? I love what you said, but I can't stand to sit there and be screamed at for an hour. I'll just be honest with you. That's just not my style. And I just feel like I'm being screamed at for an hour. I'm like, well, that's fair. Thank you for your honesty. Because I'm not going to back up. Find you a church, one of them quiet preachers that's got that little thing mounted on his, on his pulpit. Where, and he speaks to you like this. And he talks to you like this. I'm not making fun of him. Because guess what? Some people need that. But you know what? Thank God for that. Thank God for that kind of preacher. But I ain't one of them. Now watch what happens. Right after he says all of this. Acts 24, he says this. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved. Oh, watch this. You won't hear this no more. From this perverse generation. When's the last time you heard a preacher say, us generation's going to hell. Scared. Then those who gladly received his word, repented, received it, and did what they were told to do, were baptized. And on that one day, 3,000 souls were added to the 120. 3,120. They started church that morning with 120. When they went home that night, they had 3,120. Can you imagine next Sunday showing up and there was 1,000 added? I don't know how many is here today, but this plus 1,000, guess what? It would be exciting, but it would be a problem because we have not prepared our minds to handle that many people. But why not? 
Why not? Why can we not believe that could happen for us? The only reason it's not happening for us is that everything that rises and falls on leadership. So the mentality of the house is the lid of how many he's going to send. Until you get off the pew and get the power on your life and start looking at people saying, where can I serve? Where can I help? Where can I be used in this house? Then God is going to let them drive, 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 drive. He ain't going to send them here if he's not going to have somebody to tell them the answer. See, this is going to sound a little confusing to y'all, but this, this makes sense to me. It may not make sense to y'all. But I wrote this down when I studied. They knew that that was only the beginning. That was only the beginning. This is that. They understood that this is that had to become this is us. See, I had to, I had to preach on this is us to transition to this is that. But the church started with that and had to teach a mentality of us. And they can watch this. This is, this is where it went from this is that to this is us. And how many of those this is us should always be fueled by that. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Stop and pause for just a moment. Let me just tell you something. In other words, we understand what doctrine is, what they were teaching and what they were training, but we need to understand something else. They listened to their leaders. They were teachable and listened to the authority of those that were over them. A while ago, y'all were shouting a lot better than you are now. You're so, you're so independent. You don't need nobody to tell you anything. But these were, the, go back and read Acts 2. These were devout men. These were men of stature. These were men of education. These were men of wealth. Listening to uneducated Galilean fishermen. People who had ten times the education, resources, and money than the ones that are talking. And they humbled themselves and listened to what the men of God was saying into their lives. Here's the one y'all do like. And fellowship. And here's one in the South we really like. They ate bread. Hallelujah. There was no keto diet back then. Only Edo. And in prayers. This, this is all the things they continued. Apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Watch this. Then fear, a godly fear, came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed, watch this, were together and had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continually, daily, daily, somebody say daily. 
So continuing daily in one accord in the temple, watch this, and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all of the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Somebody give God a praise right now. Just give him a praise. Just give him a praise. Now watch this. One day, the church went from 120 to 3,120. The next day, they didn't, they didn't start a conference teaching everybody how to be, how to have a church of 3,120. They got out in the streets and they took the gospel door to door and in the community daily. They still did their jobs. They didn't quit their jobs, but they understood whatever I do daily has, is now becoming my mission field. It's called marketplace evangelism. Well, I'm an electrician. I'm a beautician. I work at a college. I'm in pest control. I, 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 I'm, a, I'm a ditch digger. I work, I'm a secretary. I'm a doctor. I'm a lawyer. I'm a truck driver. Well, let me tell you something else you are. Once you repent for the remission of your sins, you are a son and a daughter. And if you're a son and a daughter, Paul said, no, you're not, that you're all ministers of the gospel. But notice the pattern. This is it. This is the end of my message. Notice the pattern. They didn't stop going to church. Because the first thing they said, they went to the temple. They didn't stop going to the church. In fact, next week, I'm going to preach Acts chapter 3. When they got through preaching here, you know the very first thing he did after he got through preaching this? He went to the temple. They went to church. Even a Jewish temple. They didn't even believe what they believed. They still went because that was a place, the only place they knew to go to pray. So they went to the temple and they ministered Jesus at the temple. They went to the temple. They didn't stop going to church, but they also did life together in life groups, in rock groups. They broke bread. Now, if you're in my house, we might have some bread, but we're going to eat chips and salsa. So the scripture will be, and daily, they went from house to house eating Pastor Sandy's salsa. If you've ever had Pastor Sandy's homemade salsa, sometimes the Holy Ghost hits me. Sometimes the fire of God hits me. Sometimes it's the fire of the salsa, if you've ever had it. One time, this is the truth, she made chili so hot. This is the truth. I threw up blood. I almost went to the emergency room. I literally thought I was dying from her pot of chili. I looked over, I said, baby, did you just up the insurance on me? What are you doing? That's her thing she always says. Like if I climb on ladders, she'll be like, you be careful. I hadn't upped the insurance yet. But notice, in one day, 3,000 was added at the experience. But you can't even number what happened when they started doing life with it together. Because all 3,120 went out and started breaking bread with each other and doing life with each other. And the Bible says every single one of them 
We're on a mission to add to the church every day. So within another time, we see 5,000 is added. But here's the thing. We don't even know how many was added in people's houses. So you need to plug into small groups. How about that for a transition?